uh, I'm going to share a few thoughts with you. And uh, uh, they're going to be thoughts uh, that navigate faith and politics. Uh, I don't think that the two are mutually exclusive. Uh, I think that Christians, Christ followers, have both a civic and a Christian duty when it comes to the elections and when it comes to voting. Now, let me make it crystal clear I, uh, what I'm not going to do this morning. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. So uh, just let's make sure that, that whatever I say doesn't come through that filter that Pastor Ray said I should vote for X, Y, or Z. This morning is not an attempt to sway you to the left or to the right. Uh, this morning, we'll look to the Word of God, and hopefully uh, it will give you a better framework and a context from which to make your decision. Everybody say, my decision. My decision. All righty. So here we go. This morning, I've chosen for the title of my talk, A More Perfect Union. Uh, in fact, those words are lifted from the preamble of the United States Constitution. And, and, and it's, it's, it's simple why I chose uh, that title, and uh, I'll share that with you. Uh, the preamble of the United States Constitution is simply a brief introductory statement of the Constitution's fundamental purposes and guiding principles. So when you read the preamble, it's this introduction uh, that gives you a, a frame of reference for what the Constitution stands for. Uh, it also states in general terms the founding fathers' intentions regarding the Constitution's meaning and what they hoped the Constitution would achieve. So a good place to go when we want to understand the intention of the founding fathers' thoughts and ideas when they framed the Constitution is to go to the preamble, the preface, this brief introductory statement where they outline the purposes and the intentions for the Constitution. That's where I've lifted the title of today's message, A More Perfect Union. With all my heart, I believe that that is God's desire for these United States to establish a more perfect union. And, and, and I, I, I share the message this morning. Uh, check this out. As an immigrant from Liberia who has lived in the United States since December 3rd of, two, of 1993, 23 years. I share this message this morning as someone who served with the United States Army, proudly with the 101st Airborne Division. Air Assault, who what? Got some soldiers in the house. So I share these thoughts with great care and with great reverence and great respect. But I also say this, again, as an immigrant, because America has always been a great nation. America is a great nation. And America will always be a great nation. For those of us who are Christ followers, we need to approach everything in life with great hope. I'm amazed at how many of us who call ourselves Christ followers speak such hopelessness 
about our future as a nation. Shouldn't be that way. Shouldn't be that way. And so this morning, maybe as we look to God's word and look at some other practical things, it will inspire hope in our hearts. The hope that the founding fathers had for a more perfect union. So in the preamble, the introduction of the Constitution, the founding fathers listed five purposes for which the Constitution was framed. And I quote, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, number one, a nation that would be united. At the time of the writing of the Constitution, there was a United States, but the union was very fragile. There was a lot of uncertainty. And so they came together and framed the Constitution in order to form a more perfect and more sustainable and stronger union. That was purpose number one. Number two, to establish justice. Second reason, to establish justice. And today in America, if you, if you listen to the news and you read the articles and you listen to the pundits, uh, they say there's tremendous opportunity for judicial reform because many feel like they're on the wrong side of justice. Yet the Constitution was established to unite the country, a more perfect union, to establish justice, to ensure domestic tranquility, number three. Domestic tranquility, not necessarily enemies from without, but the enemies that lurk within. And if you've watched the landscape of America over the last 12 months, you've been a witness to heightened racial tensions. Not just racial tensions, but you've seen even greater inequality between the haves and the have-nots. Yet the founding fathers said, we're going to frame this constitution and it's going to be the guiding principle or the, 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 the framework for a more perfect union to establish justice, to ensure domestic tranquility. Number four, to provide a common defense. One of the things you hear all the time in the news is about national security. Not just the tranquility, domestic tranquility, the enemy within, but a common defense, the enemy without. That was the fourth reason for which the Constitution was framed. Number five, this is all in the preamble of the Constitution. Number five, to provide for the common defense. Number five, to promote the general welfare. General welfare. That everyone would have their piece of the American dream. And number six, to secure the blessings of liberty, the blessings of liberty, not only for ourselves, but also to posterity. And as a result, we do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States. So as I share these few thoughts with you about what a more perfect union looks like, it is from that context and it is from that framework. Now, when the Constitution was written in uh, 17, when was it? Uh, you're a history buff, 1787? Sure. You said sure? <laughs> sure, if that's what you say. Uh, the Founding Fathers gathered to frame the Constitution. And on July 28th, they reached a deadlock. 
And so the Constitutional Convention had been meeting for five weeks and they had hit a perilous deadlock. The large states were insisting that congressional representation should be based on population. So the bigger the state, the more representatives. The smaller states insisted on a one state, one vote rule. So the big state says, no, we need greater representation. The smaller states said, nah, if we give you that, you'll have more representation than we do. So they were fighting for a one state, one vote rule. The entire effort to create a stronger union was in jeopardy. And then 81-year-old Benjamin Franklin, quiet during most of the deliberations, addressed the group. Now, according to James Madison's notes, James Madison was a delegate to the, the Constitutional Convention. And according to James Madison notes, Benjamin Franklin's next words were these. Are y'all ready? I think it's one of the, <laughs> the most brilliant speeches ever delivered if we consider the full import of what Benjamin Franklin was saying. And I quote, Mr. President, I have lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? Now, let's pump the brakes there for a second. For those of you who have read Matthew chapter 6, where the Bible says there's not one lily that is clothed, not one, um, that Solomon in all his glory was not clothed better than one lily of the field. That there is not one sparrow that falls to the ground unnoticed. Is it possible if God knows every sparrow that falls to the ground and clothes every lily, is it possible to build an empire without his aid? Benjamin Franklin realized that after five weeks of deliberation where they were in this perilous deadlock, the only solution was to invoke the aid of God. And I wonder how many of us as Christ followers, in all of our research, in all of our Facebook and Instagram posts, have been as fervent in prayer as we have been passionate in our political position. Benjamin Franklin realized that the framers of the Constitution would make no more progress than their willingness to invite God in the process. Mm. Franklin continues, we have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without God's concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. You know what Benjamin Franklin was saying? Is our efforts right now framing this constitution is an exercise in futility equivalent to those who build the Tower of Babel. 
if we don't include God in our decision making. One of the founding fathers who framed the Constitution, who explicitly reminded the framers of the Constitution of our need for God, not only in the privacy of our homes, but even in the public square. Even in the public square. So for those of you who have believed the lie, oh, church and state should be separate. Wrong. We have both a civic and Christian duty to engage, not only spiritually, but also socially and politically, economically. If you read the statistics, they vary. I've seen anywhere from 4 to 25 million Christians who didn't vote in the last election. And we'll just sit there and say, well, I don't like any of these people, so I ain't going to vote. Can I just level the playing field for everybody in the room? This is what Paul said concerning that. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, including you, including me. You would be an imperfect candidate. And I bet if they were going through your emails and voicemail recordings of things you said 10 years ago, there'd probably be a whole lot of dirt that we would find on everybody in this room right now. Er. Everybody. So for those of us who say, I ain't going to vote because they're not perfect candidates. You ain't perfect either. Well, let me take, let's take the log. Before we try to take the speck out of our neighbor's eye. If you're a Christian, and I know for some of you, this is a moot point. It's like, I already voted. Psst, see you, Pastor. <laughs> you wasted my time. I came to get a word. <laughs> and a word you are getting. So, 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 what, so what's the first thing we should do as Christians? If there's anything to learn from Benjamin Franklin, who suspended five weeks of deadlock to interject the God factor, maybe for those of us who haven't voted yet, maybe, maybe we should pray. Because prayer ought to be the believer's first response, not their last resort. First response. In fact, let me read the rest of what uh, Benjamin Franklin said. You're ready? He said, uh, I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. We shall be divided by our little partial local interests, small-mindedness. Our projects will be confounded, failure. And we ourselves shall become a reproach and a byword down to future generations. And what is worse? Listen, listen to what he says now about how crucial this moment was for America in its formative years as a nascent emerging republic. Listen to what he said. He says, and what is worse, mankind may hereafter from this unfortunate instance where grown men can't make a decision, despair of establishing governments by human wisdom and leave it to chance, war, and conquest. He said, if we don't figure this out, 
if we mess this up, you know how governments will be formed in the future? It'll be by chance. It'll be by war. It'll be by conquest. If we fail to come to an amicable solution through deliberation and diplomacy, the next step is war and anarchy. So, 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 so I, I, love the way, I love the way this finishes. Like, this is Benjamin Franklin. Listen, listen to this. He says, because of all that is at stake, I therefore beg leave to move. I love the way these guys talk. I therefore beg leave to move. Hmm? That henceforth, from this moment forward, prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we, before we proceed to business and that one or more of the clergy of this city be requested to officiate in that service. He said, you'll bring the pastors in, one or two of them, one or more of them, and let them pray before we even start our daily business. So here we go. Uh, again, this is for those of you who haven't voted yet. Number one, pray. Number one, pray. I ain't going to pray about that. I already know who I'm going to vote for. Hold on, pump the brakes now. Pump the brakes. Are you sure? Are you sure? Uh, if, if you were to take a visit to Uppsala University in Sweden, if you were to walk up to University Hall, uh, you would see this inscription above the doors in gold in Swedish. Uh, but the English translation is simply this. Uh, 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 to think freely is great. But to think rightly is greater. Let me tell you about Americans. We love the fact that we're allowed to think freely and to speak freely. But there is something greater than just the freedom to think. And that greater thing is the freedom to think rightly. Let me tell you something. You and I can be sincere about what we believe and still be sincerely wrong. And the question is never whether you and I have the right to think freely. The question we must ask ourselves is, am I thinking rightly? All right. <clears throat> Let me tell you why. Uh, do we have Isaiah 55? Do we have Isaiah 55? Fantastic. <clears throat> uh, do we, can we go back? Can we back it up a, le a little bit? No, no, no. Don't worry about it. I'll just read it. Uh, uh, no. Uh, let, me, let me tell you what Isaiah 55, beginning at verse 9. Just, 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 yeah, don't do anything. Don't do anything. Uh, beginning at verse 9. Unless you can find it. Can you find verse 9? Okay. I want verse 9. Yes, in your Bible. Uh, let me read from the Bible so you guys know that this is not just my opinion. It's the word of God. Amen. Amen. Uh, Isaiah chapter 55, uh, beginning at verse 8. Uh, here's why we should pray. Tony, here's why we should pray. Isaiah chapter 55, for those who say, well, I know what I'm going to do. I already made my choice. I'm talking about people who don't know God. That's fine for people who don't know God. But for those of us who claim that we know God, we should invite God in the conversation. Yeah. 
and not jump to conclusions and assume that we know what God is thinking. Okay. <clears throat> you know why? Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 8 says it this way. He says, for my thoughts, my thoughts, God's thoughts are not your thoughts. And my ways are not your ways. Just because you would do it that way doesn't mean God would. Am I making this up? Okay, um, uh, he says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. It's not just higher in terms of God's thoughts are up here. It means his thoughts are better. Yeah. My thoughts are better than yours. Not my thoughts, God's thoughts. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Not Pastor Ray. Y'all know what I mean. Yeah. That's why we need to invite God in a conversation. Because the way I think is not the way God thinks. God's ways are not my ways. Uh, are y'all with me? And my thoughts are higher than their thoughts. Listen, listen to this. Verse, verse 10. Here's the good news. God's thoughts are accessible. For as the rain comes down and the, heaven, and the snow from heaven and do not return there but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. That means God's thoughts are higher but he will rain his thoughts down to us. If we'll ask him. God's thoughts are higher but his thoughts are not inaccessible. The way we access the higher thoughts of God, the way we begin to think rightly, not just freely, is to inquire of the Lord. And he will make known his thoughts to us. Uh, uh, let, me, let me tell you why this is critical. Let me tell you why this is critical. We ain't got to turn there, but 1 Samuel chapter 16, trust me, is in the Bible. There's a guy named Samuel who's a prophet. Samuel's a bad dude. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, this is Samuel's testimony that not one word from Samuel's mouth fell to the ground unfulfilled. That means if Samuel opened his mouth and said something, you could take it to the bank. That means if Samuel said, hey, man, you got a swimming pool in your backyard. And you went outside and there was no swimming pool, it means you got robbed. Somebody took your swimming pool out of the backyard and took it to their house. <laughs> That's how bad this dude was, man. Yeah. He was a bad dude. Not one word fell to the ground unfulfilled. Now, check this out. I find the similarities here now uncanny. Because when it came to picking the next king of Israel, when it came to deciding who Saul's successor would be, as soon as Samuel saw Jesse's oldest son, ah, that's the one. He's tall, he's good looking, he's the firstborn. That's the one. No, no. What was God's response? Pump the brakes, man. D does anybody realize that Samuel knew the voice of God? Yeah. Yeah. And he was about to get it wrong. In fact, seven times, seven times, they brought all seven of Jesse's sons. What, none of them? Samuel voted seven times and got the vote wrong all seven times. Even though he was a prophet and an outspeaker for God and knew the voice of God to the extent that when Samuel opened his mouth, it happened. Yet when it came to voting for the next king, come on somebody, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And in this instance... 
right now, in this instance, maybe in other times, it was the firstborn son who should have been anointed king. But in this instance, right now, I ain't talking about yesterday, I'm talking about two years from now, right now, will you stop long enough to hear my voice, to tell you who to anoint? Because the son that I have chosen is not the son that you chose. It's the raggedy little son out in the fields watching sheep. Is it possible that God's choice may not be your choice? And we presume to know what God would do in every situation, every circumstance? The devil is a lie. And we won't even invite God into the conversation. And we just automatically say, well, this is my choice. Let me tell you why we pray. Number one, we pray to get God's perspective. And this is God's perspective. Man looks at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. Ain't nobody in this room can tell what somebody else's heart is but God. And God says, if you'll stop long enough to ask me, I will show you what's in that person's heart. While you're looking at the outward appearance. And God says, will you pump the brakes and ask me long enough? When we pray, we get God's perspective. Are y'all with me? Am I still on point number one? Lord, help me. Woo. I should do two weeks, this week, next week. Elections is the eighth, right? Yeah, I got to split it up. I can't get through all of this. Number, number one, we get God's perspective. We begin to see things the way God sees it. Not the way I see it or the way I would do it based on my limited knowledge. This is what the Bible says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. And lean not to what? Your own understanding. understanding. You got it all figured out. You've done the math. Yet God says your math is unreliable when it comes to my sovereignty. Wow. Yeah. Your math. Man, it was good. I don't even remember it. (laughs) Your math's. It's unreliable when it comes to my sov- God's sovereignty. Thank you, thank you. Somebody was listening. You got an A plus in this class, Ross. Okay. So if you haven't voted yet, this might help you. If you have, if you've voted already, this is a moot point. You can send somebody to the website. They can download the podcast. Number two, uh, number one, prayer will give us God's perspective. We'll see things the way God does. Number two. Can I just say this? Let me just pump the brakes. Let me just pump the brakes. Lean out to your own understanding. We had a robust discussion about this in our men's Bible study last Wednesday. Let me just pump the brakes. About why it's critical to see and hear the voice of God in the decisions we make. When the uh, marriage equality ruling uh, was made, uh, uh, we understand that most people, uh, for those of us who are conservative Christians, we blame President Obama. Uh, President Obama had absolutely nothing to do with it, except it happened during his tenure, his administration. Had absolutely nothing to do with it. In fact, the justice, the justice who gave the deciding vote was Chief Justice John Roberts, a conservative judge appointed during the Bush administration. So for those of us who say, oh, yeah, uh, well, whoever it is, next person, they're going to appoint conservative judges. Pump the brakes, though. Pump the brakes. God sees more than I see. Now, most of us who are conservatives would never have imagined that a conservative chief justice would sign, would be the deciding vote. 
that would pass the marriage equality law. I ain't hating on nobody. I'm just giving you the facts. So those of us who are quick to jump to conclusions. You better jump, baby. That was good, wasn't it? it was good. <laughs> I still got ups, baby. You got it, baby. I still got it. I can't button this jacket, though, but I still got it. <laughs> I'm trying. I wanted a button this morning, but I was like, this button go pop and hurt somebody. Still got it. Thank you, baby. Uh, where, where am I? God's perspective. Uh, number two, when we pray, when we pray, it'll give us God's, not just his perspective, but God's peace. I mean, let me tell you why that's important. If you listen to most Americans today, their decisions are emotionally motivated. They're voting based on fear, voting based on anger, voting based on frustration, voting based on desperation. And remember what we said a few weeks ago, the more emotional you are, the less rational you become. Mm -hmm. The more you allow your emotions to drive you, the less your intellect has input. So when we pray, when we pray, we get God's perspective and what comes with it is the peace of God. You ain't got to rush into your decision. When you pray, God will set you at ease. So you ain't got to listen to what people saying on the radio, what people saying on TV. I've prayed. I've got God's perspective. And what accompanies the perspective of God is always the peace of God. Now, notice what Philippians chapter four says. Uh, this is the New Living Translation. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything, including the elections. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Instead, pray. And it says, tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's what? Peace, which passes or exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So every people I still, I know people all this week were going to the polls in frustration and anger. No peace, including Christians. Playing eeny, meeny, miny, mo with who to vote for. Number three, when I pray. Let me, let me tell you, I'm talking to Christians now. I'm talking to Christians. I'm talking to Christians. Uh, God's peace. Uh, number three, God's purpose. Are y'all with me? God's purpose. We're going to read this text, and I'm going to tell you, why this is huge that you and I pray. Let me tell you why it's huge that we pray as Christians. Mm -hmm. I know that's almost an oxymoron in today's church, that Christians pray? What's that? Pray? Really? Pray about who to vote for? Yeah. Let me tell you why. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When we pray, we access God's purpose. I urge you, first of all, to pray. See that? First response, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Listen to what I said. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for who? Kings and all who are in authority. Why? Why? Here's God's purpose. Here's why we pray when everybody else in America doesn't know to pray. The church and Christians should pray. Why? 
Here's the purpose of God, so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Did you ever stop to think that your prayers will cause the purpose of God to happen in this country, that you and I will live a peaceful life that's marked by dignity? Do you know that you have that power? While we just jump into the polls and voting and we haven't even prayed? This is the purpose of God. God wants us to live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. But, oh wait, there's more. (laughs) What's the rest of it? What's the second half of God's purpose? This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Did you realize that the fact that you pray before you vote will determine whether we live a quiet and peaceful life and that with dignity and that a whole bunch of people could be saved? Did you ever stop to think that your vote could impact someone's spiritual future? When we pray, we access God's purpose. 1121. It's only point number one, y'all. Next week, we'll pick up where we left off. Is early voting going on this week? Or just last week? It's going on this week? Let me help somebody else who was planning on voting this week. <laughs> let me help your friends. Let me, let me help you. Let me help you. Let me, let me tell you why this is critical. Let me tell you why this is critical. In Joshua chapter 5, in Joshua chapter 5, God has brought the Israelites out of Egypt is the night before they're supposed to go into Jericho. Hmm? Joshua's ready to take the troops in. In fact, let me read it from the Bible before I mess up the story. You know, preachers sometimes will be freestyling, <laughs> ad-libbing the text. I try to stay true to the text, though, but let me, let me just read this to set your heart at ease or, or to help you. Uh, this ain't the right book. Joshua chapter 6? No. Joshua, yes, Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, beginning at verse 13. Y'all, y'all check this out now. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man. That word man is a capital M, which is what theologians call a theophany or a Christophany. It is a pre-Bethlehemic manifestation of Jesus himself. This is how we know this is not just an ordinary angel because everywhere else in the scriptures, angels do not receive worship. In this text, this man, M-A-N, receives worship. So we know that it is a theophany or what is called a Christophany. Okay, how many of you realize that Jesus didn't start in Bethlehem? John chapter 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. As we read the Old Testament, we see Jesus' visitations in and out as he interacted with men. This is what the Bible calls a theophany. This man, M-A-N, is a pre-Bethlehemic manifestation of the Son of God. So Jesus comes face to, I mean, Joshua comes face to face with the word or the man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, this is what we really did. Are you for us or are you against us? 
listen to the angel's response. Now, let me pump the brakes now. For those of us who are Christians, the automatic answer if you see an angel is like, this angel got my back. We automatically think the angel on my side because I love Jesus. I go to church on Sunday. I give my tithe. So Jesus on my side. Is he really? Is he? Well, well, look, look, look. Verse 14. So he, the angel said, no. Hold up. Am I reading this by myself? Is it on the screen? It's not on the screen. The angel said, no. But as the commander of the armies of the Lord, I've come. Let me tell you something about Jesus, God, is not a Republican. Nor is he a Democrat. Did I unplug something? All the, all the Republicans like, what? God's not a Republican? No, 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 no. The question is never, God, are you on my side? The question is, God, am I on your side? God, are you up for, for my agenda or am I for your agenda? That's what the angel said. The angel told him, no, Joshua. He said, are you here for me? He said, no. <laughs> I came as a representative of God. So today, so today, so today, this is powerful. So today, right, right, uh, uh, before the chili cook-off. Am I going to have time to watch football? Maybe? Yeah. A little bit, okay. <laughs> a little bit of time to watch football. Uh, am I, I'm going to be sitting there and I'm going to be channel surfing. Who's, play, who's got the first game? I don't even know. Cowboys got the 7.30, right? Oh, seven, green, Packers and who? Falcons. Falcons and the Packers, okay. So the Falcons and the Packers are going to be playing. And uh, contrary to what we, we think, we think that uh, two teams take the field. We, we, we think two teams take the field. Uh, uh, say, yeah, there's two teams. Yeah, there's two teams. <laughs> Pastor Ray, why you be weird, right? So, 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 so there's the home team. There's the visiting team. Where are they playing at? They're playing in Atlanta? Okay, so Atlanta is the home team. Green Bay is the visiting team. It's the third team that takes the field every Sunday, and that's the team of officials. Now, the team of officials aren't for either team. The officials don't go to the field and say, well, I'm going to make all the calls in favor of the Falcons. They don't take the field and say, I'm going to make every call in favor of Green Bay. They get on the field and they honor. My wife says the game, that is true. They answer to a higher authority called the commissioner. They don't take the field to take sides. They take the field to enforce the agenda of the rule book and the NFL. The question then becomes, you think God gets on the field to take your side? No, 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 no. If you play by the rules that have been presented by the commissioner in the NFL, you might win. The angel of the Lord said, I ain't here for you. I'm here to enforce God's agenda. Are you going to get on board or are you going to do your own thing? Wow. I know the wheel's turning. 
the wheels are turning. Because we as Christians automatically assume that we know what God will do in every instance. This is the same God who allowed his own people to be enslaved for 40 years. When they, when they acted weird, for 40 years, heathens ruled over them. And God in his sovereignty said, you have rejected me. Now you will have what you want. You don't want my agenda? You're going to get what you want. And for most, over and over, 40 years at a time, they suffered the consequences of their obedience, disobedience to God. That's just the first thing. That's why as Christians we should pray. Most of the people who went to the polls last week went to the polls out of emotion. And the more emotional you are, the less rational you become. Fear, anger, resentment, disappointment. People say, I don't like either one of these candidates, so, so I'm just going to vote for Gary Johnson. That dude, by his own admission, just stopped smoking weed two months ago. Yeah. Yeah. Am I making that up? No. We saw the interview. He just stopped smoking weed two months ago, man, to get in the race. Yeah. And then we said, well, I don't like Trump. I don't like Hillary. I'm going to vote for Gary Johnson. Two wrongs don't make it right, man. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> man, I wish I had time to finish this message. I got two more points. I don't have time. You got to come back next week. Because here, here, here's, here's the thing. After you pray, number two, you got to get the facts. You got to get the facts. Number three, you got to vote. And number four, you have to make a conscious decision that you're going to be salt and light to your generation. Let me tell you why that's important. Some of you are going to go vote this week. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. I got to say this last thing because some of you are going to vote this week. And I'm doing this message in response to the frustration that many of you have expressed. I don't know what to do. Let me make it real easy for you. Vote for the platform not the personality. Yes. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Neither candidate at the top, neither candidate at the top is defensible. They are both coming to the presidency with tremendous baggage. So, so most of us say, well, I, I don't know who to vote for. I don't know. Should I vote for Hillary? Should I vote for Trump? No, 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 no. These two individuals are standard bearers. That means they represent the party. And in spite of their imperfections, what you have to look at is the party platform. Because every senator, every representative, every person who has a particular affiliation, Republican or Democrat, is going to fight to enforce the platform, not the personality. Yes. So if you stop long enough to get the facts, all these guys are talking about is this person's indiscretions, that person's emails. This person does this to women. That person uh, uh, has been un uh, 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 let our soldiers die in Benghazi. If you look at all of that, you will be just as confused when you enter the booth as you were when the election cycle started. It's not about either individual. It's not about either individual. I promise you, as my wife and I did, when you look at the platform and you see what both parties stand for, if you're a Christian living with a biblical worldview, it'll be crystal clear who to vote for. Mm -hmm. hey, let me, let me, I got to say this before I close. Final closing. Final closing. 
I've pastored long enough to know that not every Christian lives with a biblical worldview. That not every Christian will filter the decisions through what the Bible says. I know that. I know that. Something else is going to be your barometer and your gauge for how you vote. But if you are a Christian, uh, in fact, let me tell you what the definition of worldview is. A worldview. A worldview is the lens or the filter through which a person views, analyzes, and interacts with the world. The lens through which you view, analyze, and interact with the world. My question is, is the word of God your lens and your filter? Or are you using, well, my family, we always vote Democrat. My family, we always vote Republican. Is that, that ain't no biblical worldview now. And if you look at both party platforms, not the knuckleheads at the top. If you look at the party platform and the agenda that either party will push if they're in office, it should be crystal clear. If you live with a biblical worldview, who to vote for? Remember, we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Ain't nobody perfect. But you can make a more intelligent decision. Because to think freely is great. But to think rightly is greater. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll seal your word in our hearts.